A wonderful retelling of the story that I'm about to read to you from Luke chapter 14, beginning at the 15th verse. One of the dinner guests, on hearing this, said to Jesus, Blessed is anyone who will, ent who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. And at the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything's ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land, and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. And another said, I have just been married, and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to a slave, Well, go at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the, lame, and the, and the slave said, Sir, what you ordered has been done, and there is still room. And then the master said to the slave, Go out into the roads and lanes and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. How many can you fit around your table? How many can you fit around your table? Like many of you, the McConnells have in their little dining room a dining room table. It fits nicely in our little space and can snugly accommodate six average-sized people. But the table, when purchased, it came with leaves, three leaves. I'm sure you have a table like this. Perhaps you can pull the table apart and put in one, two, or three leaves and make room for at least six more people. It's not my favorite thing to do, to go rummaging into the closet to find the leaves, maneuver them out without breaking something else, unwrap them, yank the table open, and slip the leaves into the grooves. But we're glad to do it when we anticipate a gang. The table extends into the living room and Looks a little awkward, but who cares when you have a gang at your table? How many can you fit around your table? Well, I suppose it depends on how many leaves you have and how many leaves you want to put in. Philip Halley, in his compelling book, Less Innocent Blood Be Shed, tells the story of the little village of La Chambon in France during the German occupation in the midst of World War II. In particular, he tells about the little Protestant church there in the village, a group of Huguenots who embraced peace and nonviolence and literally interpreted the Sermon on the Mount. The pastor's name was Andre and his wife Magda. The two of them had become the moral and ethical lodestar of the town. One day during the brutal winter of 1941, after the Nazis had occupied a part of France and sent German and Jews onto the run, Magda was in her home stoking the stove with wood to warm the kitchen. The dining room table had been placed in the kitchen so that the family could eat next to the heat. As she was stoking the stove, an unexpected knock came to the door. 
When Magda answered, she saw standing on her stoop, shivering in the blowing snow, a German Jew, a woman who had been on the run, fleeing the Nazis who were chasing her kind. I've heard, she said, that there are people in this town who help people like me. It was, of course, against the law to harbor Jews, and now one stood on Magda's doorstep. What do you do? You have four kids to raise. You have a home to protect. You already have a full table. But there on your front doorstep is a shivering Jew. What do you do? Come in, come in, said Magda. She sat the woman down at her kitchen table, took off her wet coat, put her soaking shoes in the oven to dry, and gave her something to eat. She turned out to be the first of an estimated 3,500 Jews who took their place at her table and the tables of those in her church. Somehow they had managed to find extra leaves to put in their tables to make room for these refugees. They hid them in their homes and at high cost. The pastor and many leaders of the church were taken to the camps after their harboring was discovered and some were never heard from again. How many can you fit around your table? It depends on how many leaves you can find. And I suppose it depends on what kind of gang you want. Many of you remember one of those situational ethical exercises where you are presented with a lifeboat after a shipwreck and 11 people manage to scramble onto the lifeboat, but it can only remain afloat with seven people. So which four of the 11 are you supposed to throw over? Do you throw over the expectant mother, the lifeguard, the newlyweds, the senior citizen, the elementary school teacher, the doctors on the verge of curing cancer, the nurse, the captain of the ship, the billionaire who's promised a million dollars to everyone if he gets to stay on the boat? Or do you throw over the illegal immigrant who's fleeing for her life? I remember being at a church meeting where one of these scenarios was presented just as a matter of discussion and we argued our cases as to who should be thrown over when my friend Dwight said, wouldn't Jesus say build a bigger boat? <laughs> I hate smart Alex like that. <laughs> because of course Jesus would say that because he would tell the story about God's ongoing mission to save the world like when God says to Noah, Noah, Build yourself a really, 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 really big boat. 300 cubits by 50 cubits by 30 cubits. Don't ask how big that is. I have no idea, but I'm imagining it's pretty, pretty big because God wants to save every species. God wants to save every living thing. Two by two, every living thing. So build, Noah, build a really big boat because nobody's going to get thrown overboard. So Jesus changes the metaphor and says that someone in town has decided to lay out a spread. He's put out a really, really big banquet table. He's scrounged around for every leaf he can find. He's got himself a table that stretches from the dining room to the living room all the way into the warm and cozy kitchen. And now he wants to fill it. And as he goes first to his circle of friends, he finds that they're busy people and they can't find the time. 
So still he has room, so he goes to the next circle of people, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, and they come, but still he has still enough room. So he goes to the strangers, the ones even outside of the circle, and he invites them, compel them, he says, compel them so that my house may be filled, so every seat is taken, so every leaf is put to use. No one gets left out. If we need more leaves, we'll find them. Because that is a part of the good journey. Who we invite to the table? Who will we find place at the table? And Jesus says, well, you start with everybody. No one goes overboard. Everyone has a seat. And that's always been a struggle for the church, hasn't it? The struggle over how big this table should be. We've always struggled over who to invite and who not to invite. Should there be just one color of people or should there be a table of many colors? Should there be just one culture of people or should there be many cultures? Should there be one orientation of people or many orientations? Should there be one class of people or many classes? How many leaves can we find to make the table bigger and where do we go to find these leaves? Well, we find them, of course, here, inside ourselves. That's where we store the leaves. Can I find inside my soul another leaf? so that someone doesn't have to be uninvited, so that someone doesn't have to feel unwelcome? Can, can I find another leaf to make another place at the table? I told you before the church youth group I was in back 100 years ago, and we led, we, led by our youth director, got this crazy idea to host a weekly outreach event in the basement of our church that would feature local rock bands with the hope that we might get inside the church kids who wouldn't normally darken the door of the church. So we put together a plan and a budget, and we went to the session with this crazy idea, secular godless rock bands playing to secular godless kids inside a church. What could go wrong with that? And you know what they said? They said, lots of things can go wrong with this. They said it was a crazy idea. They said, who knows what kind of kids might come? They said, who knows what might happen with the wear and tear to the building? They said, who knows what kind of illegal stuff might happen in the front yard of the church, like drugs and drunkenness? They, they said that if, we, that if we may not even have enough room, one elder in particular, Elder Johnson, I'll call him, led the charge. Over my dead body, are we going to have rock and roll in this church? <laughs> and for a little while, we saw our crazy idea going down in flames, but a few open-minded elders rallied to the cause, and maybe this was what Jesus was talking about, they said. Maybe this was what Jesus was talking about. Compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. So by a narrow margin, they agreed to try it. And guess what? All those things they said might happen, wear and tear, crazy unholy kids, drugs and drunkenness, overcapacity, they were right. <laughs> it all happened in spades. Every Wednesday night we were living on the edge of legality. And guess what? Hundreds of kids came from the community and did what they thought they would never do, darken the church. And guess what? Who showed up the first night? 
to volunteer at the snack bar. Elder Johnson. God knows what happened. Maybe he couldn't get that dumb verse out of his mind, compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. Elder Johnson, who volunteered every week after that, who happened to find a leaf deep down inside of him so that he could put it in the table. Roy Blount Jr. in his wonderful and compact biography of Robert E. Lee relays the story of the Confederate generals some weeks after surrendering to the Union armies to end the Civil War. He was in Richmond on a Sunday and as was his habit, he attended worship at St. Paul's Episcopal Church. When it came time for communion, the rector invited the congregation to come forward to the rail to receive the sacrament. The first to stand was an African-American man, nicely dressed, who proceeded to the rail for communion. It was remarkable that he had been let in the door, and even more remarkable that he had the audacity to approach the table. The congregation sat in stunned silence. No one in the pews budged. No one would dare kneel with the man until Robert E. Lee, the humble general, stood up and walked up the aisle, approached the rail, and knelt beside the black man. And with that, the rest of the congregation followed. Somewhere, another table leaf had been found. On this World Communion Sunday, we look at our table and we wonder, it's a pretty big table, and we wonder, how many more leaves do we have? On World Communion Sunday, we look at the world and we wonder, who isn't here yet? On World Communion Sunday, we hear and read of refugees crossing borders and showing up on our doorsteps, and we know, we know there's no such thing as too small a table. On World Communion Sunday, the good journey takes us deep inside to see what leaves we're still holding on to, what leaves we could bring, what leaves that would allow this table to be as big as it needs to be. On World Communion Sunday, Jesus says, you build a bigger table. On World Communion Sunday, time to go back into the closet to find the one more leaf for the one more person. Go out, said the master. Go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled.